Hey, this is Mike Goldberg, the voice of Bellator MMA. Join us right now for MMA FanCast. Welcome back. Welcome back to MMA FanCast. My name is Jim Mooney. My podcast partner is Luke Payson. This episode, we're going to be starting, uh, this is going to be the first episode of a series that we're doing, which is going to be featuring different fighters and their opponents from the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. It's uh, it's our red corner versus blue corner series. And this episode, we feature Jesse James Walls. He's the, um, the first fighter we're talking to. We've got many more coming up in the next several episodes. So you're definitely going to want to follow and tune in so you can hear those upcoming episodes. But as I mentioned, right now we do have Jesse James Wallace with us. He is a fighter out of Mississippi. Um, his most recent fight back in March was for Summit FC. It was a lightweight championship fight, and he came away victorious. I believe it was a stoppage in the first round. Jesse, how are you doing? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. All right, so looking at your record, your pro record, you are 9-2 and two overall. All nine of your victories are by stoppage. Seven of those victories by submission, two by KO, TKO. So looking at that, um, you know, it tells me that you've got a strong background in uh, in judo, jujitsu. And I was just curious if if that is something that you focus on, you want to be known as a submission artist, or it's just how the fight plays out and that opportunity presents itself and you jump on it. Yeah, I just want to be known as a finisher and uh, a guy who will go for it all three rounds. Um, if the submission comes, I take it. If there's a chance for me to finish it with strikes, uh, I'll take that as well. I just want to be known as a finisher. I don't, I don't care how I get the finish, though. So your training is, am I correct in saying it's out of uh, Memphis judo and jiu-jitsu? Um, it was up until uh, about two months ago, and then I moved to American Top Team. Okay. Um, so the, the bulk of my training was at uh, Memphis judo and jiu-jitsu. Uh, I love those guys. I just had a chance to go to American Top Team, and I had to jump on it. So what, uh, what is your martial arts background? Um, I've always done uh, MMA. I, I never did taekwondo, karate when I was a kid, none of that. I played every sport with a ball, basically, um, and just started MMA to kind of stay in shape during the off season and fell in love with it, and uh, it took over everything. So I've always done MMA. I, I didn't have one, one area that I started in. You have a ranking in uh, jiu-jitsu. Just curious, you know, where you might stand in that. Yeah, I'm a purple belt uh, under Joel Gingry. Um, okay. but I've been in the game a long time. James, what's it like uh, to tie into what you said? What's it like coming up, training all aspects of MMA? We, we ask a lot of fighters this because the majority of fighters still come from, oh, I wrestled or, oh, I boxed or, oh, I did jiu-jitsu for a while or, oh, maybe I was uh, taekwondo or something. So what do, what do you, how do you think it's helped you 
to be honestly able to say, I was just an MMA guy that learned everything at one time. You think that's good or do you think it's better to learn one thing first? What's your take on that? I mean, I might be a little biased, but I think it's good uh, because, uh, because it's just me. So uh, I, think it's, um, I think it's good because I'm comfortable everywhere. And uh, anywhere the fight goes, I'm comfortable there. Um, you know, a wrestler gets cracked. He's going to try to take you back down. Um, right. So I'm, I'm comfortable to go anywhere. I don't have that, that fallback. You know, my fallback is everything. So um, I feel like I'm, I'm better versed everywhere because I didn't have a base like wrestling or, or taekwondo or whatever. I feel like I'm better everywhere. I think that's what some people would call like the third wave of um, MMA fighters. The first wave, for those that might not know, was MMA fighters back in like the original UFC where they would just stay in their one discipline and, and not use any other discipline. So maybe an early Gracie would be a good example. Never really punched wouldn't even throw his hands, wouldn't wrap his hands, and would only go for jiu-jitsu, and you had boxers that would only try to box. And the second wave are guys like Tito Ortiz or Randy Couture that come from a really strong background in something but learned enough to stay competitive. And then the third wave is really Jesse James, Wallace, a few other guys as well. But the new crowd are the third wave guys that, like you said, I think that's a great quote, your fallback plan is everywhere. You, You don't need to get to a safety spot standing or a safety spot on the ground so i think that's an advantage what's it been like getting to a new team and and did your transition to att happen after you got you got on the dana white show or what was the timing of that i've done camps before at american top team um and i got the opportunity uh cole miller uh reached out and took me in like a little brother and uh basically i'm just his, his little project now. Um, so that, that's awesome. Uh, it's been smooth. Uh, after my last win, we are, I already had talks about coming, but after the last win, the contender series talk started and uh, I decided I needed to go now um, instead of wait around to see what happened. So um, I hit up Cole, we made it happen uh, shortly after my last fight. And uh, he, he really took me in and is taking care of me. And uh, it's, this is the best camp to date. That's, that's always great. That's always great to hear. Um, are you training full time in the sense that you don't have a, a another job, or are you one of the fighters that's very typical at the regional level that has a job and then trains around the job? Yeah, I'm so lucky, man. Cole, uh, Cole lets me teach a few classes in the gym and uh, cover a few classes uh, just to pay the bills, you know, uh, so I can focus on training. Uh, so I'm really lucky that way. Uh, so basically I don't have a job. I just kind of hang out at the gym a few hours early and then get to train after that. So I'm, I'm blessed to have Cole hook me up like that. That is a real blessing, particularly when you go to the next level, which you're going to in the UFC contender series, having that focus, having the ability, like you said, to live in the gym. Uh, although some guys have made it work where they have a full-time job and then train on the side. I, I think that's part of the next level is really going off and, and really focusing on it. Um, I'm curious, when are you flying out to Vegas? What's it like? Because the contender series is unique in the sense that it's not really an event that they advertise or that they bring a lot of fans into. It's not like a event where people are buying tickets to it's, it's held at the UF's brand new apex gym and it's kind of a small intimate group there. So what's it like? You get out there a week early, do you get there a couple of days early? What's that like? Well, I'm getting there, uh, a week early. Um, they usually fly you out about three days early, but I'm going to get there a little earlier than that just to just to get work in and get used to being there and chill out there, you know, get rid of the jet lag. 
Um, so I'm getting there about a week early. Is this something you can bring supporters to? Like, do you have fans coming or is it something that's kind of close to the public? Yeah, it's, it's close to the public. Every fighter gets four passes um, okay. to give out. So it's, it's pretty small. I mean, there's only what five fights on the card, four passes a fighter. So it's, it's not, it's not too many people um, get to go in. Right. I think that's what makes the contender series so unique is it's really designed for the online you know, watchers and the people watching on ESPN. Plus, do you ever, this is a question we've asked before for other people, do you ever listen to the crowd fighting in a room that might be a little bit more quiet than usual? Is that something that you think you're even going to notice? I started fighting when I was 15 and I fought in front of, you know, a hundred people all the way up to filling out the FedEx form. So trust me, I've been to the small crowds and I've had to fight through those regional shows. So it doesn't matter to me, man. They could, they could pack it full or it could just be me and him fighting in the back locker room. I really don't care. Uh, I just want that contract. I don't care how many people. So you mentioned that, that you're doing some uh, coaching as well. And I was uh, curious if, you, uh, if you've ever cornered some fights. Yeah, I've been cornering pretty much as long as I've been fighting. Uh, you just kind of have to help your teammates out uh, when you're first starting. So I just started out being the, being the bucket holder and the, the water guy and um, slowly progressed on to, to fully cornering the guys. So, yeah, I've, I've cornered just about as long as I've been fighting. Yeah, we, uh, we talked with um, – actually, I think it was – I want to say it's like the past uh, three or four interviews we did with, uh, with fighters who all had that in common where they uh, cornered as well. Luke and I have both found this interesting – what their view or what their take is going in to the to the ring into the cage as a fighter versus going in and you're following somebody because you're going to corner them. Uh, last guy that we interviewed said that he's got more nerves, um, he's, he's you know got more butterflies as a corner man versus when he goes in as a fighter. I was just curious where you stood on um, on that, how that plays out for you. No, I agree. I'm definitely more nervous as a corner. Um, maybe it's because I have no control over what's going to happen, you know, and I can see things from a different angle. Um, so I'm definitely more nervous as a corner. Um, I've also refed fights, and that was pretty nerve-wracking as well. Um, being the only one in there not fighting, that was – it definitely took me two or three fights to get used to that. Um, but I'm definitely more nervous cornering my teammates because we just put in the grind together and we just go so hard and then – now I just have to sit there and watch and I can't do anything. Um, and I have no control. So it's definitely worse for me cornering than it is fighting. You, uh, you're the first one that has mentioned you've done some refing for, uh, for MMA fights. I was just curious how that played out. Did you have to go through any type of training or uh, schooling in order to, get, to even get licensed? Yes. Uh, I've been fighting in Mississippi since I was 15. Uh, so the commission has known me for a really long time. Um, and a smaller promotion was just coming back after being gone for a really long time. So uh, it was going to be an all amateur show, not much on the line. And uh, I, they asked me to judge. I said, you know, I've been wanting to ref. What do you think about me refing? The commission got together, approved it. Uh, and they sent somebody there to help me ref. And uh, it went perfectly. Uh, no mistakes. Um, it was a, it was a great show. And uh, I definitely look forward to doing it again. Now I got uh, one more question. Before I don't want to hog up all the uh, the airtime away from Luke. Right, we're good, brother. Uh, I ain't got nothing to do. All right. So you you got a uh, majority of your fights are with Summit FC. Um, I do know that you had uh, I think it was Bellator 162 um, where you fought on that card. For those of you out there listening, if you are not on the main card, 
or are on the prelims, Bellator does a thing called post limbs where depending on how things work out from start to finish, and it really is determined by how fast or how slow the fights go, that, um, that you could fight after um, the main, you know, the main card. And, you know, once the main event is over, then, um, then it goes to the, uh, to the post limbs. Now, um, we covered uh, um, a Bellator show a while back. It was at State College. I don't think – I think they talked about post limbs, but they were, they were actually able to get everything in from start to finish with prelims and then the main card and then the, and then the show was done. So I was curious what that was like, what the crowd – you know, did the crowd stick around for the post limbs? Because I'd never been to a show where it worked out that way. I don't know if I'm supposed to say it, but – they, me and me and my teammate Jaleel, you can have it. I'm, I'm going to the UFC now. So, um, <laughs> so me and my teammate Jaleel were fighting on it. We were supposed to be the prelims, and we get to our locker rooms, and our names are scratched off, and we start to panic a little bit, as you would. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, they uh, told us that they moved us to the post limbs because we had lead and ticket sales, and they wanted the arena to be full for TV. So yes, the crowd stuck around because they bought tickets from us. So, um, so yeah, that's why uh, I, I don't think I fought until almost 1 a.m. Uh, uh, and I, I got there at 3 o'clock the day before. So that was awesome. Um, so, yeah, uh, they moved us from prelim to postlim and didn't tell us until we got there. So it happened. Whatever. They uh, needed to keep it full for TV. I get it. Yeah. You know, one of the things I have been to uh, a number of Bellator shows, they just haven't worked out that way. But one of the things that I find interesting, I, I know that you're going to the UFC and we want to focus all our attention on that. Uh, but one of the things I found interesting about it, it is, it's very similar to a regional event in the sense mm-hmm. that they bring in a lot of local fighters or fighters who are um, familiar to fight fans in that area in order to bring in a, a bigger crowd. And yeah, I have noticed where fighters who maybe um, might be fighting on the prelims get just as much of uh, crowd noise as the main event or even the co-main. And it's it's pretty interesting how they do that. We're hoping that everything works out for you. And that, you know, this is this is where you go. You end up in the UFC. But I was curious how that call came in from the UFC. So, yeah, I think that Bellator card I fought on, there was only like four fights that weren't, didn't have a local guy in them. Most of them were local versus local. And I promise you the fights that weren't on TV were a lot better than the fights that were on TV. Um, Just the local guys put on that night. So my, uh, me and my manager were talking uh, after my last win about the contender series could be a real opportunity. We might need one more win to get in. So uh, we, we, we're in talks with LFA about fighting again and uh, put up, put my name in the hat for the contender series. And uh, we were just waiting on a callback. Um, I, I was going to wait it out, but I didn't want to just sit there and do nothing. So I was, I was going to book another fight just to improve the resume to get in. And um, one, one of my buddies, uh, Chris Ocon, he got on and my manager was emailing back and forth about Chris Ocon's opponent. And he goes, Oh yeah. Uh, Jesse James is on the same episode. Uh, just kind of like threw it in there like, oh, yeah, he's definitely on. So um, that's how that happened. We found out months ago. Um, so I've been preparing for this one for a while. Interesting. Now, an interesting point to the card. Um, it, it's a smaller card and it's the Tuesday Night Contender Series, but you are listed as the main event. Does that, does that change anything for 
a length of rounds or any extra uh, obligations on your part? Because obviously for a UFC main event, that's usually five, five minute rounds and you have to do a lot more media and stuff. So they, they told you, does that mean any differences to you? Uh, they haven't told me anything. I'm still assuming it's three, five minute rounds, but we could do 10, five minute rounds. I really don't care. I'll just find out when I get there. I think the only difference is they put my ugly mug up on the, up on the screen instead of somebody else. So I, I don't think it makes a difference. Um, it doesn't make a difference to me. I'll fight first or last. I really don't care. Um, but I don't think it does. But if it does, hey, great. I'm here. Uh, I'm just going to enjoy the ride and uh, enjoy the contract. Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely the focus is getting the contract and being able to take this opportunity to the fullest to get to UFC. And I think obviously you have the best attitude. Since that happened to you with Bellator, you're going to roll with whatever happens. You're not going to be super uh, stickler on, you know, the order you fight or any of those type of things. I, my assumption, having watched the last season, is just that uh, they designate somebody as a main event, the last fight for promotion for pictures, as it's opposed to different in length of time. So that sounds pretty good. Um, as far as your opponent goes, uh, did you do? Do you or your team watch tape? Uh, now you're at ATT. Is it make Jesse James as good as you can get, or is there some game planning? Obviously, if there's game planning, don't give anything away. But have you done game planning specifically to your opponent? Uh, it's definitely make me the best I can be. Um, Cole and Bubby Mitchell both watched tape on him, came to me with, a, I wouldn't say a game plan, but a general outline, some, some bullet points that we need that we would like to do. Um, but we're definitely confident that, uh, that I can win anywhere. We just have certain things that improve my chances of winning everywhere. So we just we just hit those bullet points, and we're going to try to keep hitting them. And uh, I, I fully plan to execute it on fight night. Well, I think that's actually, I would say, and obviously you're training at a great gym, ATT. I think that's a great strategy for coaches. They watch the fights. They come with the bullet points. That way they can give it to you in actionable intel, as they say in the military. Actionable intel. This is what we want you to do and be aware of versus you getting caught up and watching all his fights and getting maybe – um, either overconfident or underconfident based on what, what you've seen him do. So I actually think that's a very intelligent thing. And Thanks for shout, shouting out to your coaches. Who else is part of your crew as far as your main sparring partners, anybody else that you think you're, you want to really spend some time thanking and giving them the opportunity to get some recognition? Yeah, well, me and Cole uh, go at it every day. Um, he, he does every workout I do. Um, we hold each other accountable. Bubby Mitchell definitely been taking care of me since I got here. Um, Q Cole Pepper is uh, one of the best guys that I've trained with that just doesn't want to fight, and it just blows my mind. So Q for sure. Lathan, thank you. Um, to everybody at uh, ATT, everybody at Cole Miller Martial Arts and Russian MMA that's helped me out. Um, I train with pros all the way down to people who just want to do it for self-defense. So I get looks from everybody. Um, so everybody that comes to the gym that's helped me, Thank you. You got some of your fights were at featherweight. This fight is going to be at lightweight, which is actually where it seems like most of your fights have been. I was curious what uh, what your walk around is and, you know, if you've got um, hard weight cuts or, you know, it's something that uh, goes smooth from the time that fight camp starts to um, fight night. Yeah, well, most of those fights at featherweight uh, were when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. I was just a puny little kid walking yeah. around <laughs> at like 50 or 55. So, um that's where most of the featherweight came. And as I grew up and as I started lifting weights and getting bigger, I just had to move up because cut to 45 was just too much, especially as an amateur when you're doing it for free. Um, 
and now the cut to 55 is easy. I've never missed it. I, I prepare. I'm not one of those dudes that just cut 10, 15, 20 pounds in two weeks. You know, um, I definitely prepare far enough ahead to where it's just an easy cut for me. I usually wake up on weigh-in day about a pound, two pounds. Um, so it's, it's usually a pretty easy cut for me. Jesse James, tell us a little bit about the support you get from, uh, from your family. You have a wife, you have a daughter, you have a son on the way. Congratulations on that. And, uh, how do they support you and, and who's going with you to Vegas to be a support out there for you? Yeah. Uh, my wife is the best, uh, literally the best. She cooks my diet food. She cleans my tons and tons of training clothes. Um, that goes through here. So, uh, and uh, she, she just up and moved, left her family and came with me. Um, she said, we'll go wherever you need to go to make it to the UFC. Uh, that her and my daughter, Aubrey, had my back. And that was all I needed to hear. We packed up the car and left. Um, but no, she's the best. Um, they're actually going to go back home and uh, watch the fight with the family. I'm going to have my manager and his wife, my good buddy Brent and his wife, and my grandmother are going to be in Vegas with me. A little bit of support there. What, what was it like? What was the conversation like from your grandma? where she was like, I'm coming to Vegas. Give me, give me that rundown well, a little. Well, I didn't know if I had passes. I thought it was just private filming. You know, no one can come in. I just, that's what I thought. And she goes, well, I'm booking a flight in a hotel. I go, well, that's going to be a waste because you're not going to be able to watch the fight. And she's like, I'm booking it and I'm coming. And I was just like, okay, you know, you're lost. And then I found out I had passes and I was like, well, you got lucky because now you can't come in. But it was like, she's coming whether she could get in or not. And, you know, so it was just like, this is what's happening. <laughs> uh, I mean, so what I, am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, really. Cowboy Cerrone has uh, his, his, probably his biggest fan is his grandmother. No um, doubt. <laughs> so you said you've been fighting uh, in M involved in MMA um, since you were about 15. And you, you talked uh, some about your family support. What was that like, you know, the first time that you stepped in the ring and, you know, the, how your uh, family reacted to that? Because, you know, I think of my son, he's, um, he's 12 years old now, and he, um, he does some training with uh, jiu-jitsu, BJJ. But, you know, as big a fan as I am of the sport, it's not something that I want him to grow up and aspire to be an MMA athlete. You know, he, right now he wants to be an astronaut, and he's big into NASA and follows their channels all over the place. That's and much better curious. than fighting. Let me just put that out there. I would rather be an astronaut too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's not, you know, especially in the regional circuit, you know, you're not yeah, going to um, break the bank. Um, tough. Yeah. And as, as a, if he wants to be an astronaut, he's, he's certainly going to kill our account, you know, with uh, the, the schooling and the education that he's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had my first fight when I was 15. Um, I was training at a local gym. Uh, they were had a fight promotion. They had a guy fall out like three days before the fight, and I was about five pounds from that weight. And they were like, hey, you know, you should take the fight. And, uh, of course, with your whole team there, you don't want to be like, no, thank you, I'm scared. So I was like, yeah, let's go, man. And uh, they were like, well, your parents have to sign a waiver because you're 15. And I was like, oh, great. So I brought it home to my mom, and I didn't want to tell her it was an MMA fight because that would be an immediate no. So I told her it was jujitsu <laughs> where we would just be grappling. And luckily I was the first fight on the card. So she didn't see anybody fight before me. So I was like, it's just jujitsu. You just got to take me down to the casino, drop me off. You can come back at seven and watch the fight. And <laughs> luckily I was the first fight. 
And so, um, like, a couple of punches were thrown, and he took me down, and I submitted him in about 40 seconds. And uh, she was crying before the fight even started. But I got out of the cage, and she was like, you lied to me. <laughs> I was like, well, it's too late now because I'm in it. <laughs> so I had to, like, I had to smooth her over. She was not with it. Uh, she just wanted me to play baseball. And so I, it, took some, it took some time, and luckily I was winning a lot of fights at the regional level. So she was like, well, he's not getting beat up. You know, he's still playing baseball. We might be all right. But it definitely took some, some smoothing over of my mom for her to, uh, to be supportive. My dad was like, yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> you know, want to get punched in the head, go for it. Um, but it definitely took some smoothing over of my mom. Uh, and she hasn't missed a fight since. And uh, she won't sit in the front row. She just can't hang. She likes to be in the very back uh, behind everyone. So um, she's there, but she's in the very back pacing around going crazy. Usually my wife is too. Um, but no, it took some smoothing over, but uh, no one wants to see their kid get beat up. I'm terrified that my daughter's going to want to do it. And she absolutely loves it and loves watching me do it. So I'm definitely in trouble. <laughs> yeah. A few years, I think it was actually um, this past year, um, USC was in Pittsburgh. Actually, I think it was in 2017. Uriah Hall was on the card. And after the fight, he'd won his fight. And after the, uh, the fight, his, uh, his in-ring interview, he said, which I'm glad that you said this because we have other fighters who come on and it's like, I love fighting. I love fighting. Been fighting since I was, you know, little and fighting on the streets. And, you know, so now, you know, I'm doing it in the ring and it's, it's sanctioned and everything's on the up and up and it's all legit. Uh, but Uriah Hall said that it's the scariest thing that he's ever done in his life. And every, every time, you know, he has a fight, he's got massive butterflies from the time that day comes that Saturday all the way through uh, the bell sounds to start the fight. And it's, it's interesting to hear your take on it. And, you know, I don't know if it's bravado that, you know, keeps some of the other fighters from saying that, but that's how I look at it. It's, it's not for the faint of heart as a fan to watch. Um, And, uh, you know, as a fighter, the, the mindset is, is not your typical, you know, sports endeavor where somebody just says, Hey, I want to grow up and be, you know, a fighter. I want to punch somebody in the face and the things like that. It's, it's, it's not the normal mainstream event that, you know, somebody or sport that somebody would gravitate towards. Yeah. I'm no tough guy. I have butterflies too. Um, I'm in the back thinking well, I should have stayed in school. You know, what am I doing back here? But I do Big love it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I do love it. Um, but I do get that, those butterflies and that feeling, and I can't recreate that feeling. It only happens, you know, right before I go out or as I'm warming up, I get it. And uh, I think that pushes me to the next level or let me perform on that level because I'm much better in the cage than I am in the gym. Some, some guys have their fights in the gym and they look amazing. They get in the cage and they just can't handle it. I think that added pressure and that added like, uh, butterflies and everything's on me. I think that pushes me to another level because I can't hit that level in the gym and I always perform better in the cage than I do in the gym. So I think that is what helps me hit that level that I can't turn on. You know what I'm trying to say? That I have to have that to be able to perform the best I can because I don't do, I can't do that in the gym. I think just all that added pressure and everything's on me. Everything's right now. It's on you. I think that, uh, I think that pushes me to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've talked about this on this show before, uh, James, that, 
some, and, and you actually need the guys that are really good in the gym to push you because they're fighting in the gym. I, I used to call them gym heroes. I don't, guys that are really, really good. I mean, you even mentioned one of your friends that you're like, you don't know why he's not fighting. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. Because they make fighters like you have to work harder, even though the added pressure. I also coach college track and field, and there are certain runners that need somebody to run against, right? And so we'll be doing split right. times in practice, and they're way below the time that they run in, in a meet. I mean, just wait seconds and maybe 10 seconds below a lap, and you're like, what's going on? But you put somebody for them to chase, somebody for them to go after. In your case, it's a fight. But in their right. case, they have to chase somebody down. They run so much faster. But then you get people that are the other way. Like you said, fighters that when the pressure's on, their brain kind of locks up, and they, and they don't know what to do. And I've seen yeah. runners who are incredibly fast. When the pressure's on, they, they tighten up. You know, you've seen it in fights. So guys are guys that have a highlight reel in the in the gym, and then they get in the cage and just get smashed by somebody that shouldn't. I think some people can't handle that pressure, and some people can. Luckily, I was I'm one of the ones who can, and it definitely boosts me to another level. Like I do stuff in there that I don't even do in the gym, and I don't even remember doing. And I'm like, how did I even hit that? You know, like what is going on? But I definitely perform better in there. Like in baseball, we call them gamers. They can't hit a curveball for anything during batting practice, and they get in the game and just smash. So I'm definitely a gamer and I'm lucky to have that. That's great. That's a great attitude. We've really enjoyed having you on for those of our listeners that have the SPN plus check out all of Dana White's uh, contender series, but especially week three, the headliner, Jesse James Wallace. And we're going to look forward to, to trying to have more of this blue verse uh, red series of trying to interview fighters off the, the Dana White. And so you're our first interview and you were from the blue corner. So we're excited. We're going to be rooting blue corner all the way. And you're uh, in your, thanks so much for coming on uh, Jesse James Wallace. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in action on week three. Hey, thank you guys for having me, man. It was a great time. As Luke mentioned, you can see our guest for this episode, Jesse James Wallace on week three of the contender series. That episode will occur on July 9th and you can catch that on ESPN plus so for myself and Luke Pace we want to thank you for listening that's it for Pitt and we'll catch you later next time on MMA Fancast